So this is Air Brooklyn, your host Ben Piven. We're here with Ken Gua, the brains behind an amazing film project, Scam Republic. Thank you so much for having me here. It's like an honor to, to, to be featured on this program. And uh, so yeah, we can start from the top. This is a really fascinating initiative, a look at an industry scamming, a uh, part of West Africa that seems very integral in some senses to the economy of Nigeria. You did the filming in Cameroon. Let's get started. So what's up with Cameroon and scamming? Well, to be honest, the, the culture has kind of seeped into Cameroon as well. You mentioned Nigeria before, but it has taken over a lot of different facets of West African culture, Central African culture. You have not only Nigerian scammers, but they, they actually learned a lot of their scamming habits from people in Ghana and in the UK. So it, it's pretty much been something which has completely uh, taken over different pockets where people have not had an opportunity to find jobs. They've come in, they've realized that, listen, it's not necessarily the most, it's for sure not an honest way to make a living, but there are people who put their kids through university and college and life doing this kind of thing, and that's crazy in itself. For the most part, I got into it because I was in Nigeria, and I, uh, I went to a city called Calabar, and I happened to stop in this restaurant, and I'm noticing like there's a bunch of navigators outside, and navigators in uh, a third world city alone says something. That's a big statement to make. You, you go outside, you see someone very important is in here, and I see these guys, and they have like jewelry, they have people around them, and apparently you could tell, you know, that they come from some kind of wealth, or they have a little bit of means, and and then I hung around for a bit, um, just because in the place that we were, it's very, when you go to a third world country, you know, um, exponentially, whatever wealth you have shows through, because other people aren't necessarily going to be able to eat in these same places, or go to these same places, so being there, and we're in the same quote-unquote circles, it was just really interesting to, to find these guys, and, and it took me a little bit of goading to, to get them to open up and talk about what they do, and it was like, okay, Nigerian scammers, and just from that experience and knowing a bunch of uh, filmmakers who who wanted to share their stories and share some unique tales, that's uh, pretty much how Scam Republic came about. So this was your introduction to the topic, going to Nigeria was your first experience hands-on dealing with those folks, that was what whet your appetite and, and got you, pushed you down that road towards doing a film about scamming? Essentially, yeah. It uh, gave me a subject which I really wanted to explore further. Originally, I had gotten involved in film due to a friend of mine who happened to be a contestant on the 2014 Big Brother Africa. After he had gone and filmed uh, the series in Nairobi, it was just a natural progression. I was living in LA, I met so many people who were interested in the arts, wanted to like have these interesting stories, and I thought for production value, production cost, I could do so much more within Africa than I could do in the States. Any, in the States, anyone can make a movie, but to be able to touch a subject like this within Africa, within my community, my other community, I should say, it was really, really cool. It was a great experience, and it helped me get a base. And I based a lot of this, oddly enough, on Bruce Lee, because I was a huge Bruce Lee fan growing up, and he never made it in America. If you look back at what he did, he went back to China, he made films there, and then he was able to like build something for himself and then come back around. And I think that as an independent artist, 
you know, that's the best way. Go back to your base, do what you need to do for your base, and then you can slowly, gradually go to uh, your new homeland. So you're originally from Cameroon, your family's Cameroonian. Why did you pick Cameroon to film the project when Cameroon and Nigeria are different sorts of places and you don't necessarily want Cameroonians to be associated with scamming? Absolutely. It's something that, you know, it's a very negative subject, but in the film I keep it neutral. Granted, if you were from Cameroon, you will know that what we're talking about, like just the name Republic is something that people within the country would call it. If you speak to a French African and you say, oh, I come from La Republique, La Republique is only one thing. It's only Cameroon. There's so many French-speaking countries. You can go to Senegal and say, oh, I'm from La Republique. They're not going to be like, where? No, they're going to know you're a Cameroonian. But uh, I, I also push it more for a Western audience because Scam Republic, it's just... It's a name. No one really is going to like associate that with anything. They're just going to have this generalized idea of, okay, it's somewhere in Africa where they're doing this. And granted, the film is in English and French. That occurs. But still, when people see that, they're just going to think, okay, maybe it's Congo. Maybe it's even Nigeria, despite the fact that there's French. You know, I, I, I uh, believe that there's a naivete to, to African culture um, in Western media. And I thought that that'd be kind of... Uh, cool to exploit film-wise. So before we talk about the place and the experience of filming, maybe just explain a little bit about the message of the film. What is the film? What audience are you trying to reach with the film? What is the story? Uh, what was sort of the genesis behind the tale? The story is about two guys in university, uh, one named Kwesi, the other one named Nico. They come from varied backgrounds. One of them is an immigrant to Cameroon, from within Africa. Uh, from Ghana? No, 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 no. Kwesi, it sounds like a Ghanaian name. Yeah. You are good, you're good. No. <laughs> but actually, Kwesi, anywhere, like, it's never really stated where he comes from, but he's a foreigner to the country. So that in itself is a unique aspect of it because you don't necessarily see that in films where they have an African country and show immigrants within an African country because it occurs. So one is an immigrant. He really comes from very little means. He is brilliant when it comes to the sciences and the arts, but as far as uh, home life, he has uh, very little connection with, with, with the home life. He has an uncle who is the town drunk, quote unquote, and he's his only support system. Aside from that, he really comes from nothing else. Nico, on the other hand, um, never got a chance to uh, know his father, but he's the other character. Uh, he's a Cameroonian. Uh, he lives with his mother cares for his mother and she plays an integral part in in the story and and what occurs and essentially they're just like two young guys trying to come of age in an African city which has very little to offer them and it's subtly subversive because if you watch it and you see this you're going to be like wow why don't they have means because of lack of opportunity why aren't they advancing because you have a guy who studies computer programming along with everyone else in the classroom, yet there are no co-working offices, there are no tech companies there. So what are they going to do with that degree? They're going to go mop bathrooms and clean and work at train stations and they have no opportunity. This, this is a place without the industrial revolution, without high foreign investment. So as a result, you do what you have to do. You have biomolecular engineers who clean bathrooms. Honest truth. And this is something which 
we can all relate to to worldwide the immigrant struggle um but on top of that the film is just going to show Africa without being preachy and without being like oh look at the poor people and the flies that's that's really what I wanted to get across it's just like where does this place and I found it very interesting because the clips and snippets I've shown people so far it's just been like true art because I have one idea which I'm trying to convey and then someone else will see it a completely different way and I've just been astounded by that and just been like wow I never was trying to get that across, but that's what you saw. I'm going to nod and smile. <laughs> you know? In terms of the genre and the way this film is made and produced, obviously in the U.S. it would be regarded as a foreign film. Would you say that it's drama? Some of it is a little bit documentary style in the sense that it's capturing this scammer world. How would you place the, the genre? I would say it is a drama, possibly even a dark comedy, because I think there's going to be moments in it where, I don't know, I was watching edits recently and I thought that some things are going to be funny. When people actually get into the scams, it's like, how could people actually fall for this? And you see that. And it's a drama for sure, but I think there's a little bit of humor behind it in the story that we tell. And, and just the imagery alone is going to be something which is captivating, because this is, like I said, something that my audience, the audience that I shot for, which was... Though it was made in Cameroon, I had it with a Western audience in mind because I already knew I would have the Cameroonian audience. No one in Cameroon has ever shot a film of this magnitude with a crew and a cast from South America, from, from Angola, people who are coming in here and the United States has ever done anything this truly creative. Like you have like Nollywood, which has made a certain genre of film, but this is something else. This is art. This is... Not to say that that isn't art in itself, but this took a little bit of the aesthetic of, of making a film within Nigeria and kind of turned it on its axis and showed what it would be like if we all in the diaspora, Africa, Brazil, came together and made art and made something really cool. And I'm really proud of it. That's amazing. And it sounds like there's a lot of different influences that have gone into the making of this film. And, and I find it interesting that you mentioned Nollywood. I believe that's the third largest film industry in the world after Hollywood and Bollywood. Absolutely. Um, so with Nollywood, you know, we we're talking about Nigerians in the scamming industry. It turns out that this type of cinema is quite Nigerian in a sense. Did you find that you turned to other Nigerian films for cues for how to film? Um, what was going on there in your head? There's this uh, director in Nigeria, his name is Tico Benson. No one, I, I could say his name a million times, I can go into Hollywood, go somewhere and say Tico Benson, but no one knows who he is. Yet he's made over, I would say, $10 million making films, making Nigerian films, where they spend maybe a month on production, editing, shooting. And his production company is unbelievable, the kind of guerrilla films which they shoot. I mean, people with lack of means. The inspiration of like watching some of his clips, there's actually a, a video on Netflix now, um, which is a documentary on Nollywood, I believe he's featured briefly in that, where they talk about how they would, you know, get the shot by any means necessary, where if you need to have a high-speed chase, you'd literally have a guy with belts because you don't have a harness strapped to the hood of a car just holding the camera when with technology becoming more accessible to people even poor people it's 
coming to a point now where the quality of films is greatly increasing and it's, it's just beautiful. And yeah, Tico Benson was for sure the one influence just because it was all about the shot. He, he had a Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin outlook where it's like, I might feel pain now, but I'm shooting this and it'll look amazing to someone else. You know, even Jackie Chan, it's like, you do what you have to do to get the shot. Once you've got the shot, that's all that matters. So Ken, take us there to the ground, the scene of filming. It sounds like it was rather chaotic. There were some chase scenes. There were some issues with the authorities locally in Cameroon. What was it like? Take our viewers there to the experience on the ground in the capital of Cameroon where you were doing this. Uh, you brought together people from all over the place. How chaotic was it? How did you manage that? Explain this sort of scenario. Number one, not everyone spoke the same language, and we all were in a room together. We had three Brazilians on our crew, an Angolan, he speaks Portuguese as well, um, Americans who, this was their first time in Africa, not necessarily having an understanding, and then you had local Cameroonians, some who only spoke French, others who only spoke English, and you throw that into a house with three bedrooms, and it's about maybe 12, 13 people in a room, roughly the size of an office on a regular basis, talking about film, trying to get things going. You were so, putting the people up there. They were staying there. No, absolutely. Know. Like, honestly, I, I, that's what I learned from this experience. If I do, when, I, when I do another film, we have to live together for that period, for that month, for that two months, because it just makes things so cohesive. You're a family when you make this film, and then afterwards, it's something else. But during this process, we have to be there because it just takes too long to go. I need an actor to show up on set at this time. You're here in the house already. It's not like you have to wait for someone. So I believe that if you're doing guerrilla film, you have to work together in a cohesive unit. And as a result of us not necessarily speaking the same languages, and I would say Felix Coloso, who uh, plays Kwesi in the film, did most of the translating because we were the only ones with the French, English, and Spanish who were able to communicate with everyone. So as a result, it was like, I would say something, he would translate it, and then maybe I would translate it again, or someone, and then someone else would talk, and then it'd be like, okay, I would translate it, or he would translate it, and it just got so chaotic and confusing, and it just became a chore, because sometimes it was so difficult to communicate, but in the beginning, in the first week, it was very difficult. I would say within the third week of filming, just as someone in production, I would sit back and I would look at these guys who don't necessarily speak the same language and the way they interact and like the camaraderie which they had. It was truly beautiful and gave me hope in humanity. It was amazing to watch. Like some guy who barely speaks French, you know, communicating with some guy who speaks only English and yet they have like a bond which is growing. It was like... I felt like I had done something good for the world doing this film, whatever comes of it or not. Yeah. That's amazing. That sounds like the bonding experience of renting out this house in Yaoundé and bringing together people from all different cultures, languages, that exchange. It sounds like the process of making it was just extraordinary. Tell us some about some of the other difficulties you faced on the ground, technically, legally, permits. When you shoot a guerrilla film, for the most part, permits go out the window. Especially shooting within Cameroon, you need to have two permits, one signed by the National Registry, and you can't get that on the ground. You need at least six months ahead of time to get that permit. And then from there, you have to have a dossier which you show 
every uh, official who comes by and asks you. But once they see this paper, they will immediately walk away from you and not say a word. Now, as a result of not having this... Neither. I, you had neither. I had neither. I, I wanted to... I attempted to get it uh, three months before we landed in the country, but then I realized it was going to be impossible. I got into the country, went around um, from office to office, and officials were afraid to put their name on anything artistic because it could be critical of the government. And even then, when I sat in the Ministry of Tourism, the Ministry of Entertainment, the Ministry of Arts, no one would give me a definitive answer. They'd always push me off to someone else. I literally went within the center of Yaoundé to a government officials' offices, sat there, explained that I was making an art film, but no one wants to green light something which could be critical of a dictatorship. So as a result, they were like, okay, listen, you're in the wrong office. You need to go to the Office of Entertainment. You need to go to the Office of Arts. You need to go to the Office of this, that, and that. You know, so it was very difficult. At a certain point, I realized that, you know what? I had come prepared for this. I had done what Kinko's and I had made up fake documents in order to uh, come off a little bit legitimate because the, the average soldier is not going to waste his time like calling and trying to find out if you're actually official or not. They're going to see, quote unquote, foreigners, white people, and, and a bunch of guys with expensive equipment, and they're just going to like uh, be appeased. So uh, that worked out for the majority of the film. We essentially would just come into an area three, four hours ahead of time, which we had located, picked out. Uh, our line producer, Gislaine Amoku, had worked it out. And most people where we were shooting assumed that this was going to be an African film. But then when they started seeing like the foreigners come, that's when it's like, okay, um, the bribes would uh, suddenly uh, be demanded. The, the They would taxes for random things all of a sudden so it was a little bit of a headache our biggest hurdle was our very last day of the shoot where uh, I don't want to give away too much about the film but we shot we lived in the shadow of the National Football Stadium and it's a poor area but there's like beautiful homes within this area and our house was really nice but it has like 12 foot walls and a courtyard so we went out and it was right next to our home we go out and we're filming in the shadow of the National Stadium. It looks amazing, really cool shot. But at a certain point, a local uh, police regiment had been patrolling and then they saw this and I thought nothing of it. Marching in his complete uh, uniform, which is, it looks like uh, it looks like a soldier, but he's actually a police officer, he's a gendarme. The gendarme officer sees us, then he walks away. And I thought, oh, nothing's gonna happen. He just like saw that we were shooting a film or shooting something. Literally, as we finished, within a minute of our final shot, we're about to clap. All of a sudden, a car shows up. Five soldiers pull out of nowhere. And then they're just like, okay, everyone, everyone, put away the cameras. You're all under arrest. Who has the permit? Who's responsible here? Everyone at that moment turns and they just point to me. And I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is going on. These guys, like all of a sudden, they're like, who do you know? Where did you get the permit? And I'm like telling them, like, listen, I'm not gonna show them the fake permit at this point because I'm gonna get myself in even more trouble. So I tell them that, listen, I have a permit, but we were just doing our last shoot. I didn't know that I needed to have it here. It's at the house. And he's like, okay, you all are under arrest and you have to come down to the station and we'll sort this down at the station. But the thing is, 
they were afraid, I believe, of like arresting the foreigners. So they didn't arrest us, but every African in the crew, they put them inside of the cars and then they marched them into the, the police station. So me, the director, the cinematographer, the sound guy, we were walking, we, ha we walked to the police station in a long, it was a parade, everyone who was on set, we essentially walked in a parade to the, this, uh, to the police station. And if I had known what I knew now, I would have told like the Brazilians maybe to like just disappear at that point because there was no pressure. The cinematographer Victor was smart enough to like disappear. You never saw he, he went was Argentine. No, he was uh, he was from Brazil, from Sao Paulo. But he literally he went back into the house and he he never had to deal with the craziness that we did because we got into the station and once we got into only the, the Africans. Only the Africans were in the cells. And you're included, even though you're American. You're I, yeah, I, they didn't search me because they listen to the way I talk and they know I'm not from there. You know, so even my connections or whatever, they they knew I wasn't from there. So I sat there. I'm listening to them, and the most interesting thing about this whole process was we had this um, gendarme captain who comes in, you know, really bloated guy, like fat pot belly. His uniform is hanging, but it's like, you know, has all these medals and medallions, like he's accomplished so much. We've never been at war. I don't know what these medals are for, but he's in front of us, and he sits there. And then he like goes to the Brazilian, like, what's your name? We're all fingerprinted. We're, they take our pictures. And then they give uh, ask for our statements as to who we are. They document everything. And in Cameroon, it's not like this is done by computer. So literally, a guy is sitting there by hand writing up these documents, like, like detailing exactly who we are. And at a certain point, we're all put into a room, and we have to explain the movie to this captain. And then on top of that, we rehashed our last month what we've been doing the entire time we've been in the country. So it was like a crazy wrap up to our whole story about like explaining like who we are, what we've done. I tell him I'm a filmmaker. The lead director, um, Marco Mateos, he tells him he's a filmmaker. He's done numerous commercials in Brazil. And then the captain looks over at all of us and like, these are not real jobs. What do you guys do? And it was like, no, this is what we do. And it was like very dismissive of the arts. He's like, no, no, no. You build something. You. He, he found it so hard to believe that people do art. And I'm like, yeah, it was. It was just crazy. So did he expect you to be scammers? What was his? He thought you were drug dealers. He what thought was we were Boko Haram. He thought we were Boko Haram. And he, well, that was the premise. I I, I gathered really quickly that they were more interested in trying to get a bribe or get some kind of uh, payment out of us than actually uh, surmising what we were doing in the country because it was just like, oh, I don't know you guys, you're making films in Cameroon and you have military uniforms, you're impersonating police officers, this could be something against the government, you could be Boko Haram, this could be a Boko Haram publicity video, I don't know what this is. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, look, sir. You have a couple white guys from America, some guys from Brazil, like who's making a Boko Haram video? You have to look at this rationally. He smiled and he knew in his heart of hearts, he knew what this was. This was a shakedown, any way you want to look at it. But you know, he had to go through the whole protocol. I'm like, sir, come on, you know what this is. And then eventually, when things were at dire worst, we had been in the station for about eight hours. Eight hours of this. I'm sitting at night, there. In the middle of the night? The middle of the night. We, our shoot was so tight, the Brazilians had a flight out of the country at 2 p at 2 a.m. in that morning. So right now, this is about 10. 
and they have to be out of the country. The end of your month. Completely. Completely. I thought we would have had time to have at least a barbecue as a crew. None of that. This was the end. So we're sitting in this police station in these dire circumstances. The actors are in the cell, the extras, the people who were there. And you still had 5% of the filming left to do, or you were pretty much done the filming? We were done. Yeah, right. We literally, the very last shot we had. So we lucky in a sense that it happened at the very end instead of the beginning of the middle. I don't know if it was luck. I think it was more God looking after us or what. But yeah, I guess we were very fortunate that it happened. But Then you had to pay. So are you allowed to say whether you needed to cough up some oh, absolutely. dollars? Absolutely. I had to cough up dollars. Like I gave... Um, I, I was able to make a phone call. When I made a phone call to my cousin, um, who's like politically connected, he had a high-ranking uh, police officer come by and do uh, spe speak for us about letting us go. And at that point, the captain said we have to wait for the colonel to show up. There was a point where things were getting very serious. A captain shows up. A colonel, excuse me, a colonel, gendarme officer, the colonel shows up at maybe 10:30. At that point, we're all made to rise. Everyone stands at attention. This is like very serious. He comes all Africans. in, all Africans. He comes in with like four or five other guys, and then we're led into another office. And I'm like, listen, I'll do the talking for everyone. So he sits down at the desk. He has all of our passports in front of him. How many nations? Cameroonians, Cameroonians, Angolans, Cameroonians, uh, Angolans, Americans. He has our passports in front of him, and. He talks to me for a second. I'm doing all the talking for everyone because I, I, I'm the producer. I'm responsible. I tell him, listen, um, we'd like to be freed. We, we, I'm sorry. Is there, is there any way we can work this out? And the way these bribes work is it's a dance. You can't just like get, offer money. No, you have to go through the pageantry of, well, this is what you've done. This is how you know you've made me feel. This is how you've broken the law. And then afterwards, we might be able to. In the beginning, working on the streets, I, I, I would meet people and I'm like, I don't even want to deal with it, just take the money. And they'd almost be offended that I would give them the money rather than talk. It's part of the dance. If you interrupt the step, they become insulted. So this is one thing I learned about dealing in African uh, bribery, scam republic. You know, you essentially have to like go through the whole pageantry, the whole process of it, and then you offer them something. It's part of it. They tell you how serious your offense is and how grave the situation is, and then you slowly appease. But if you interrupt the step, you start all over again. In a sense, that is the dark comedy of it. You created this meta experience where you actually were living out the scam because the police were scamming you the shakedown as a result of you filming this thing. And that's such an amazing sort of postmodern commentary on what you're covering. Tell us a little bit about the documentary aspect of this project. You have the film that you're going to be touring around at festivals, but then you also have a second tangential project, which is itself a really core part of it, the documentary sort of making of. Essentially, we have over 32 hours of footage, which we shot randomly within our compound and throughout Yaoundé, where we were filming. And it's just to illustrate camaraderie, which um, we as a crew had built from relatively nothing. I mean, these are people coming from vast array walks of life, but we all have the fact that we love the arts. We all, you know, enjoy music, comedies, theater, and 
just based on those few things alone, we were able to form something which was truly beautiful. It was an unofficial UN, as I would like to call it. Just, just something which completely organic, uh, without any real representation in the world. And that's essentially what I documented in the making of Scam Republic. I took a lot of, uh, I took some shots of the film. Not that many shots of actually the core footage because I wanted to save that for festivals, but I, I took a lot of shots which might entice people to want to see the film because they're like, where is that place? I've never seen something that looks like that. Some people just thought it was crazy because, you know, they, their reality is so far removed from Africa that they've never even seen, like, you know, red soil, which is everywhere, you know. That in itself is something which is unique. And someone mentioned that to me, and I was like, wow, you've never seen red soil, you haven't lived. It's a 30-minute making-of video, which is currently on YouTube. It's called Scammed, Making of Scam Republic. And uh, most of our actors are featured, all of our actors are featured in it. And our line producer our cinematographer and it's just us uh, going around the city navigating uh, talking about some of the hardships we had a uh, one of our production lights exploded due to the current not being the same it wasn't grounded so um, our director almost lost an eye in, in, in the process because after it had been plugged in literally the light bulb just shattered and it went everywhere and even though his face was bl like bloody we continued on. That was like one of our first real hardships. And it shows that. It shows instances of just, you know, tomfoolery. There was a period where in a house of 11 cast and crew, I had made the mistake of like walking out the door. And because of security concerns in Africa, most doors, they require a key, even if it's a, a manual door. So you're supposed to leave the key within the door so people can unlock in lock if they're in the house but I had made the mistake you know inadvertently of like walking away with the key so I left and we're supposed to go shoot and I'm waiting like why isn't anyone on set and it's like 11 people in the house it's stuck stuck because you have not only the house the windows have bars on them and then you have a 12 foot fence even if they were able to get out of there so it was like what are we gonna do you know and that was like you know some of the comedies documented in there and uh, yeah it's called scam making an independent film in Cameroon. So you say the making of sort of director's cut add-on about the making of the film, that's a half hour. How long is the film itself and when will we start to see the film in festivals? October 6th I start screening the film. I have a deal worked out. I'm going to show it at Next Space in Berkeley, a good company there. I am hoping to show it at the WeWork in Berkeley to begin with, October 6th is when I uh, will start screening it. Afterwards, I'm going to take the film uh, across the U.S., uh, entering it into different festivals. So I imagine within the 2018 festival season, I plan to enter it within the U.S., within the, the, the European market, and then within the South American and the African market. So I'm going to take it around around the globe to different places to show what we went through and what we could create if we all work together and have some uh, understanding of one another. So it's an hour and a half feature length film? It's about an hour and 20 minutes, yeah. Where can our audience find out more about you on social media? You're on Instagram, you're on YouTube? Um, you can add us on Instagram, it's called Scam Republique, R-E-P-U-B-L-I-Q-U-E, Scam Republique, you know, I have to say it with a twist. You can add us on Instagram, um, our website is scamrepublique.com, Facebook page is Scam Republique.
Yeah, or you can add me on Facebook, Ken Ngwa. It's like NWA, but it's NGWA. So you can add me on all social media, and I would be happy to tell you where you can watch the film worldwide. Looking forward to seeing that film, Ken. It's an amazing project. It's got these, all these different twists that, as we were talking about, are so meta, and I think that's what makes the film compelling and, and unique in its context. It's foreign, but it, it approaches the place from the insider's perspective because you bring that knowledge of that venue, that environment, to the production of it. So really looking forward to checking out that film. And thank you for coming to uh, Air Brooklyn with us today. It was fun to hear about your project. Air Brooklyn, uh, thank you so much, Ben, for having me. It's been a pleasure and an honor. And Thank you, Ken. And uh, that's it today for Air Brooklyn. This is your host, Ben Piven. Over and out. Ciao, ciao.